Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome into another edition of Take It to the Bank, and we have a very, very special episode for you. We were originally going to just lead with the Ravens-Chargers preview, but late Friday night, we had to change our script. We had our script ready to go. We had to change it because the, the Ravens PR staff, they announced that the team is working on an extension with head coach John Harbaugh, and he will definitely be be in Baltimore in 2019. This is certainly shocking news. There were several reports earlier in the year suggesting that Harbaugh and the team would have a mutual parting of the ways after this year regardless of what happens but and, and some people thought maybe playoffs are bust but that's not the case the Ravens are eight and six yes they hold the sixth spot in the AFC wildcard race but they, there's a chance that they might not make it but they either way they've, they've committed to John Harbaugh before probably the biggest game of their season as always I'm joined by my co-host Vasily Laricos how you doing man and what do you think I'm doing well holiday weekend for me um it's it was definitely interesting news coming out of the castle on Friday night Steve Bashotti admitted that he thought about firing John Harbaugh last year and uh I think the things have changed a little bit namely Lamar Jackson definitely a big a big pull, an impressive feat for John Harbaugh to be able to totally revamp and remake the team at midstream, at the midseason point. In my view, Harbaugh has earned the opportunity to coach in 2019 because he handled the quarterback change beautifully, and he has proven he can devise successful game plans with Lamar Jackson, something I don't know if anybody was totally certain of. Bashadi ideally would have waited until he coaches out that final year. He is under contract through 2019 and then maybe off the long-term deal because the Ravens have struggled to defeat a lot of contenders in recent years and also win tight games. But still, at the end of the day, I think most of the problems are attributable more to the front office who has not supplied the roster with enough difference makers. In theory, yes, I agree with you in that the fact that they probably should have waited. Like, like without a doubt, I think they should have waited because you don't know what's going to happen, especially because they could end up losing to the Chargers and then the Colts and the Titans could both end up winning this week. And then, what, like we said in the last episode, one of them's probably going to win next week as they play each other. That means the Ravens likely aren't in the playoffs. So, yeah, you probably should have waited. And, and, yes, I give him all the credit in the world. Listen, at, heading into the bye week, the Ravens were on a three-game losing streak. We were talking, they were four and five. We were talking about them potentially not even even coming close to sniffing the playoffs, we were talking about a team that should be heading towards a huge rebuild, 
and just a couple weeks later, we're talking about a team that's been four and one in that stretch. We we said that when John Harbaugh had to make the decision between Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco, this would not only define the season, but this might define his tenure as the Ravens head coach, and it certainly did. And it cl- it's clear as of right now that he made the right decision. They're four, obviously they're four and one. They have a huge game, and and they put themselves in a position to make the playoffs. My issue with it is this: when you look at the eight teams that they beat, they that their combined record is forty six sixty five and one. The six teams they lost to have a combined record of 49-33-2. and two. They haven't beaten a lot of the good teams they've faced. They've, they've beaten up on a lot of the lesser opponents that they've faced, and I just think that it's time for a change. I don't understand this logic of, of keeping him. I, I mean, I, I agree with it in, in, in the sense of, yeah, you want continuity, but this just might not be working anymore. I just don't know if this is the right thing. And the other the other thing I have to say is the timing is awful. I, I think we both agree that the timing is just terrible. It's I don't know if I agree that it's terrible. It's interesting. Maybe Bashadi's trying to give a vote of confidence that he thinks going to help the Ravens close the deal out tonight, Saturday night. Um, again, I'm going to come back to personnel. The Ravens don't have the all-pro players that the contenders do. They just don't. And I don't know if that's John Harbaugh has too much say on draft day and in free agency. And if that's the case, then maybe he's not the right man to lead the job. But if he gives up some authority in that regard, and Eric DaCosta can bring in the playmakers, I think maybe he is the best man. An extension right now is understandable, justifiable in some ways, somewhat. Two main reasons. First off, there are not many quality head coaching candidates available right right now out there. Other teams may be seen as more desirable jobs Right now, this offseason, other teams are better positioned. Who knows who wants to work with Lamar Jackson, cap space, depth chart, etc. And even the offensive mastermind poster boy, Sean McVay, has seemingly been figured out in recent weeks. The Rams are really slumping. Secondly, coaching contracts do not impact the salary cap. Worst case scenario, Harbaugh receives a lucrative, say, $50 million extension, he does not perform up to expectations. M&T Bank Stadium attendance continues to worsen. And then Steve Bashotti has to fire Harbaugh a few seasons into this hypothetical extension. That doesn't hurt the team. It hurts Steve Bashotti's bank account, but the financial outlay does not negatively impact the roster. So I can, I can make a case for the extension. I think 2019 was a no-brainer. The extension, I'm on the fence. One, it, it, it shouldn't matter that other teams would have coveted him. I know that everyone was reporting that if Harbaugh were to be a free agent, so to speak, a lot of teams, including Denver, would have really been aggressive towards trying to, to trying to get him, assuming that Denver fires Vance Joseph. But that shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter who else wants him. The bottom line is it wasn't working here, for, for starters. Secondly, I'm not really buying into the, oh, well, who's out there? It's a weak coaching pool. You, I don't think that you can really judge the coaching pool until they get their opportunity. I mean, who was John Harbaugh before he came to Baltimore? He was just a special teams coach, and a lot of people were saying the Ravens really got screwed in that process because they should have hired Jason Garrett, and it, it's clear that they made the right decision. Yeah, I mean, I know Garrett didn't want to come here, but it's clear that they made they made the right choice, and, and they ended up getting the better coach, I believe. And the other thing is Doug Peterson. Remember him? When he got hired in, in Philadelphia, everyone was like, this is the worst time. And, and and he ended up 
winning a Super Bowl there, and he's done good things with that Eagles team. So to me, I don't think that you can – I mean, you can look at it on paper and say, well, do they think they're going to be good? It's all projections, but you really don't know how a coach is going to perform until he's in that job because there's so much to the head coaching responsibilities. So I, I, I'm not really buying or, or buying that idea of, oh, well, who else is out there? The other thing is this. is Let's just say he doesn't make the playoffs. Let's, let's just say the Ravens, they lose to the Chargers, which – I'm not going to spoil it, but that's my prediction is they're going to lose to the Chargers. You're looking at a team that, that likely needs a lot of help just to get in the playoffs. So if they don't make the playoffs, you're looking at four straight losing or four straight seasons where they don't make the playoffs. That's not good enough. I'm sorry. that that You can call me spoiled and call me what you want, but that's not good enough. And I think that his message has gotten a little bit stale in the locker room. And I think that I don't know how much input he has on the draft. And I think you make great points when you're talking about, well, the front office isn't absolved from blame either. And, and they aren't. The front office has made a ton of mistakes in terms of draft day, free agent signings, contracts, structuring like the front office is certainly to blame for this as well this is not just a hardball issue and don't don't think that i'm saying that but i think at some point you have to realize that maybe we need a new message maybe we need a new vision maybe we need someone else and lamar jackson from what i've heard he was a polarizing prospect don't get me wrong but i think there are some some coaches out there that really liked what they saw especially i mean i don't know how you cannot like what you've seen the past five weeks from him is his mechanics have developed his mechanics have improved his decision making has improved his, his ability as a passer has certainly improved and you have the flashy electric ability and dynamic ability as a runner so to me i think that lamar jackson would be coveted at, from other head coaches who say hey maybe we can make this offense work you make fair points all around i will admit that i thought harbaugh should have been let go last offseason because, as you said, his message has grown stale. However, upon further consideration, I now believe he is the best man for the job. If you think about it, most players do not stay with one team long enough these days for a message to grow stale. Harbaugh, he has a lot of good attributes. I think he's a good in-game coach. He's maybe more aggressive than some like, but I think that gives the team the best chance to win the, he keeps the locker room together he keeps the team focused for the most part the key with him has always been finding the right coordinators he was a special teams coordinator by trade not necessarily an offensive or defensive mastermind and that will continue to be the case but you hope and you think that after all these years of being head coach he has picked up on some schemes just by osmosis that are that are working at the end of the day I think that the changing of the course in midseason and making it work with Lamar's unique skill set was quite impressive. It impressed me. Bottom line, I'm pleased with the decision to maintain continuity at head coach at this time. And I think the Lamar Jackson changeover brings uh, optimism because now the team is going to have that salary cap space to add the players that they need to put them over the top as they did have in Harbaugh's first five years where he racked up all those postseason wins. We should ban that C word on this podcast, continuity. I'm sick and tired of hearing it. I don't like it. it I get it. The, you, you don't want to be the Cleveland Browns a couple years ago where you're just constantly changing GMs, coaches, everything. That That's awful. That, that's not good. Discontinuity is obviously not great either, but I think continuity can only take you so far. At some point, you have to realize that what you're doing is kind of insanity where you're thinking that this is going to work. It's going to work. I mean, I, I the Ravens do this every year. They're always in the hunt. They're, they're always just one game away, one play away, and they never get close. And if I'm being honest, if I'm going to give my season prediction, I think that they're going to end up finishing 
nine and seven, and they're going to miss the playoffs. And, gonna, and we're going to be talking about one play and maybe this Chargers game that allowed that that, that forced them to miss the playoffs. You know, and and that's going to segue into our preview of this Ravens Chargers game. And this is the biggest game of the season, without a doubt, because the Colts and the Titans both have favorable matchups in Week 16. As we talked about, they they play each other in Week 17, so. The Ravens, in my eyes, they have to win this. This is a must-win game for them, without a doubt. And not to mention, if they win this game, there's a shot that they that they could go and win the division at 10-6. and six. It's a monumental matchup. Lamar Jackson's toughest t- test to date awaits in Los Angeles. The Chargers are 11-3 for a reason. Probably the most well-rounded team in the league. Knocking them off is going to require every phase is A game, especially the coaching staff. There's several factors working in L.A.'s favor. First of all, they're at home playing with extra rest after a Thursday night game while the Ravens have to fly cross-country six days after their last game. The Chargers have also been much better than the Ravens in close games this year. In games decided by a touchdown or less, L.A. is 5-1 and one compared to the Ravens' 1-4 and four mark. Oddsmakers do expect a close game. The Chargers are favored by four points. Anthony Lynn... Head coach is hoping to extend L.A.'s current NFL best four-game win streak. John Harbaugh is hoping to snap the Ravens' eight-game losing streak when they are underdogs by more than a field goal. Yeah, this is certainly, like you said, I think it's going to be a close game without a doubt. And I think that the Ravens, this is going to be the biggest test for them. This is where we're going to see, is this offense sustainable? What can we really take away from this offense? Because this is the best defense that Lamar Jackson is going to, going to face this year. Uh, the Browns are, are, aren't any slouches either, but this is going to be the best defense without a doubt that he's going to face. This is a fast, aggressive Chargers defense. And this is a defense, I think they do have some flaws with them. I think their, their linebacker core is a, it leaves a little bit to be desired, but this is it's still a very fast unit. They're overly aggressive. And I think, that, as I saw with the Chiefs, you can use that overly aggressiveness to their to their flaws. You, you can use that to hurt them. And I think that the, the, the running game is going to be critical. Can the Ravens establish a running game against the, I think they're eighth or ninth best in the league in run, in run defense. So can they, can they create any opportunities for them? And I think the key is going to be building passing plays and getting chunk plays off of the play action. And the other thing is this. The Chargers are kind of like the Ravens offensively in the terms of they like to play the time possession game. They like to slowly work down the field. I mean, I know they hit their big plays, but they're big in time possession. Philip Rivers, they, they chew clock off with that slow-moving offense where they take all, pretty much all the time in the play clock, whether it's the first quarter or the fourth quarter. They love to just slowly, methodically work down the field. And it's going to be it's gonna be fun to watch. The Chargers boast a top 10 pass defense, run defense, and scoring defense. Definitely a step up in competition for Lamar. They have run a ton of dime defense since their linebacker Denzel Perryman and tackle Corey Legit hit injured reserve, which in theory should make them vulnerable against the run. But they have actually limited four of the last five opponents to 65 yards or less on the ground, in large part due to the Pro Bowl play of rookie safety Derwin James, who leads them in tackles. They're going to stack the box and force Lamar to beat them through the air. Other teams have tried it. The Chargers have the personnel to force it. And passing on this defense is not an easy task either. Edge rushers Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram do have the talent to give Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown trouble. Desmond King is an elite slot corner who can eliminate Willie Sneed. And Casey 
Hayward is another high-quality outside cornerback. I think Michael Davis is the guy you have to target without a doubt. Uh, he's really fast, but but he's their weakest weakest link in cornerback, I think. Um, the other thing that I noticed is the Chiefs, um, I don't know how the Chiefs didn't win that game against the Chargers because they ran this, so they ran a three-by-one set. So it's three wide receivers on one side and, and another wide receiver or tight end on the other side, right? And when the, when the Chiefs did lined up like that, the Chargers responded with this coverage called Cover 3 Mabel. So Cover 3 Mabel is essentially a Cover 3 coverage with one exception. on the With the receiver on the lone side, that guy just plays man coverage instead of having a deep third. So you're pretty much playing zone on the, on the side with the three receivers. You're playing man on the other side. And what that does is that really opens up the deep third of that side of the field. It exposes it. And the Chiefs lived for these looks because they most of their yardage came from these looks because what they did is you just run a crosser from one side to the other and usually there's not a guy in that deep third and it's usually wide open so I mean the Ravens could run that with I mean the Chiefs did it with Tyree Kill a lot the Ravens could run it with John Brown I know John Brown isn't nearly as talented as Tyree Kill is I guess but they can still run it Brown still got the speed to do that and, and it worked well and I think the Ravens should adapt that game plan from Kansas City's live and die off of those three by one sets because the Chargers really didn't adjust too well to that sometimes they Sometimes they, they switch to kind of a cover six skate, which is the same exact thing, but the Chiefs still exploited it. And I think there's enough tape on this Chargers pass defense that you can certainly create a lot of big plays in the air as long as Lamar Jackson can, can consistently make those throws. And then in terms of the run defense, I think the key is just outside zones. I, I think that the, the Chiefs did a good job with the outside zones, providing cutback lanes because the Chargers really are overly aggressive. Once they think they know what's going to happen, everybody swarms to the ball and, and misdirection plays, counter plays. Those plays work really well against them. Absolutely important game for Marty Morningwig. He, I guess, is auditioning to be may stay as the offensive coordinator next year under John Harbaugh. He needs to scheme up those explosive plays. A team that has more big plays is going to win this game. Whether those plays are breakaway runs from Lamar, chunk plays to Andrews off a of play action in the seam, or as you mentioned, deep shots to John Brown over the top. Ideally, all three. Chargers defense corner Gus Bradley, he is not going to sit back and allow Gus Edwards and Kenny Dixon to rumble for seven or eight yards on first down all game long. And the other key is Lamar has to carry over his third and long efficiency from last week and absolutely, most importantly, protect the football. Ball security is going to be vital. Absolutely. He's got to be more careful with the football. And that's another key. Can he find a way to put some of his struggles behind it? Because he's going to have to play his best game without a doubt in terms of throwing, in terms of ball security, decision making. Everything has to be top top of the line and I think that's the key for this offense can they be efficient because the Chargers are going to put up points I don't think that I don't th just like kind of like the Chiefs game the Chargers are going to put up points this is not going to be a time where the defense is going to hold them to less than 10, 14 points the Chargers their offense is dynamic their offense is just as dynamic if not I could argue a little bit more dynamic than the Chiefs offense they got a ton of, pl of playmakers on the outside the Lamar Jackson this group they're going to have to put up points against a really good defense and I I, I think this is our make-or-break game. This is a game where we're going to be able to decide, can this offense be sustainable? Do we think that, that, that this is going to be an offense that, that can take it to the next level, or have they hit their ceiling? And that, that's going to be the key for me. Has this Ravens offense hit their ceiling, we think, in terms of production, or can they really match some of those top teams in the AFC? And we said this with the Chiefs game, and, and they did They did pretty well for the most part. I mean, they, they had a lead. The defense could have made a stop. But this, this, this test, to me, is a little bit harder because I think the, I think the Chargers right now are, are, are a little bit better than the Chiefs, especially at home in that soccer stadium.
I'd agree with that. I think the Chargers are more talented than the Chiefs uh, on the offense, and you nailed it. Can the offense evolve? They're not going to be able to do what they've been doing and win this game in prime time on the road. Phillip Rivers has spread the ball around to his wealth of weapons to produce gaudy, gaudy numbers this season. And L.A. definitely has some advantageous matchups against the Ravens' top-ranked defense. Melvin Gordon, their dynamic tailback, ready to return from injury. C.J. Mosley and Tony Jefferson are going to have, probably going to have some trouble containing him out of the backfield. Mike Williams is a big physical target on the outside who's really coming on. He could definitely give Jimmy Smith problems the same way Mike Evans did last week. And Keenan Allen, he looks like he's going to play. We're not 100% about that, but if he does, he's a matchup nightmare in the slot. It will be interesting to see which coverage Wink favors against Allen. Allen's had some really big games against the Ravens in his career. I believe Humphrey or Carr would likely fare better than Tavon Young or the implementation of a lot of zone coverage. I think you have to run zone coverage. I think maybe combo coverages would work well, maybe run man on some side. But the, the key to me is the matchups. What are you going to do with Keenan Allen? What are, you, what are you going to do with Mike Williams? What are you going to do with Antonio Gates? I know Antonio Gates is like, what is he, 85 years old right now? But he's still making plays. I mean, he looked, he looked really good a couple weeks ago and last week. So to me, the key is what are you? how are you going to separate and how are you going to scheme it up? But the, the biggest key for me, I think, is how are you going to stymie Phillip Rivers' quick release? We saw in the Steelers game, even though Pittsburgh's pass rush was creating some pressure, it didn't really matter because Rivers was getting the ball out so quick. It just it just was irrelevant. It was neutralized. So can the secondary force Rivers to have to hold on to the ball for an extra second or two? And can the can the front seven generate pressure? That's going to be the key. Can you get to Phillip Rivers, affect his throws, and ultimately sack him and, and maybe force some bad throws? That's going to be the key. I think the Ravens should be able to get some pressure. The Chargers have the sixth best offense in terms of yardage, fourth best in terms of points. They pass it about 12% more than they run it, yet their one primary weakness is pass protection. Kansas City hit Rivers 12 times and sacked him five times last week. Zadarius Smith, if he wants that big contract in the offseason, he really needs to dominate their guards. And Suggs and Judon on the outside also have exploitable matchups against their tackles, Russell Okun and Sam Tevy. Wink is going to have to be aggressive with his play calling by deploying deceptive pressures. Rivers might take advantage of the aggressiveness at times, but Phil is not immune to mistakes. He tossed two picks last week and has averaged nearly an interception per game over his career. Hopefully Eric Weddle can draw on his knowledge of his longtime former teammates' tendencies to force a couple crucial takeaways. The Ravens have to win the turnover battle this game. Yeah, Phillip Rivers, like you said, he threw two interceptions last week. But other than that, I mean, he's having one of his best seasons, if not the best season of his career. He is really making a strong case for an MVP trophy. I mean, the thing is, if Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees weren't having the seasons that they were having— this would be Rivers' Rivers's trophy to win. You know, he would he would be the MVP without a doubt, and I still think he could finish somewhere in the top three in the voting or the the final finalists or whatever. But I I really think that 
he's going under the radar with how well he's playing this year, and it's his quick release, it's his good decision making, his his uncare, his weird mechanics, but it's all working, and it's really the weapons that he has. I mean, Melvin Gordon's running really well this season. Justin Justin Jackson's also running pretty well when he came in in relief. I mean, they could use him in some sort of role because Austin Eckler's going to be out. Uh, Mike Williams is a monster in the red zone. I don't know how. The Ravens are playing to match up with him. I think Jimmy Smith's the best bet there. Um, you look at Keenan Allen. I mean, Keenan Allen is just such a savvy route runner. I think Humphrey's the best bet there as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how they match up with them. And and, and the key the key to me again is going to be can the the safeties. And I say this every week. Can the safeties play up to a serviceable level? Because Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson certainly are liabilities in coverage at this point in their respective careers. And the Chargers are probably going to exploit that. They're going to try to try to attack the deep parts of the field and, and say, all right, if your safeties can make plays, they make plays. If not, we'll, we'll take our chances there. And I think that's going to be the key. Can Eric Weddle not overcommit to certain sides? Can he make the right reads? Can Tony Jefferson be serviceable when he's responsible for the deep half, deep third, deep whatever? And can, or, or can he be more aggressive when he guards tight ends? I mean, that's going to be the key again. Can these safeties elevate their play in probably the biggest game of the year? It's going to be a chess match at the line of scrimmage between Rivers and Weddle. Ex- expect a lot of pre-snap audibles. Um, it's it, We're going to see if Weddle's intelligence, veteran savvy, can make up for his athletic limitations at this stage in his career. You're a little bit higher on Rivers than I am. I would also put Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson ahead of him in the MVP conversation. So he's probably about fifth in my book. Uh, But definitely going to be a challenge for the Ravens' defense. As far as prediction, the Ravens can win this game. In order for them to do so, they need to start fast on offense to avoid playing catch-up, number one. Use special teams to their advantage. And... Most importantly, finish the game plus two in turnover differential. They can't be even or plus one. They have to be at least plus two in prime time on the road. I don't believe the Ravens are going to receive an ultra-efficient game plan with the rookie quarterback, and I'm not positive that they have enough ball hawks on defense to turn over and really rattle the veteran quarterback, Rivers. I think the Ravens are going to keep it close but they're going to fall at the end. Chargers 20, Ravens 17. Yeah, I'm also going with the Chargers, but I'm going to go with a little bit of a different kind of game plan, or game situation. I I think that what's going to happen is the Ravens are actually going to lead this game at halftime. I think the Chargers are notorious for having kind of slow starts to the game. They're really good in the second half, but the first half is a little bit of a struggle for them so far this season. I'm going to go... I think the Ravens are going to be leading at halftime, maybe like 17-10, somewhere around there. And then I, I think the I think the Chargers in the second half are going to come out swinging and they're going to blow this game open. I'm, ta- I'm taking the Chargers 31-20. 31-20, all right. Around the NFL, the other Sunday showcase, playoff ramifications for the Ravens for the wild card. I predict Tennessee to beat the Skins by double digits. Washington's been decimated by injuries on offense. And the Titans – with that bruiser, Derrick Henry, and that top five defense, they're built for late-season football. Yeah, I mean, I can't really disagree with you. I, I, the Skins are, what are they, on their fourth-string quarterback at this point? And I, I just don't think that they have the, the horses right now to compete with Tennessee. And Tennessee's running really, really, really well behind Derrick Henry. I mean, all, what what happened? He just blew up a couple weeks ago, and now he's just on a hot streak. I'm taking the Titans but, but by double digits as well. The other big game to monitor the Colts on Sunday, the Colts are hosting the New York Giants. And again, 
unfortunately for the Ravens, I think the Colts are going to win this one by double digits as well. Yeah, New York's run defense been gutted by the trade of snacks. Harrison, the injury to Landon Collins. Expect Marlon Mack to run wild and without Opdell Beckham, who seems doubtful to play. The Giants don't have the weaponry to hurt Indy's defense. I'm not sure if they cover the spread, but I do think Indy wins the game. Yeah, I don't know. Odell Beckham, I think, is going to be out this week as well. I, I, I'm taking the Colts by double digits. I think, I think this is a big game for them, and I think they're going to they're going to end up they're going to end up rolling for sure. The other game to monitor, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the Steelers are traveling to New Orleans to face the Saints, and this is a big game for both teams. The Steelers, if the Ravens lose, the Steelers could clinch uh, the AFC North while the Saints are looking to lock up that number one seed in the a- in the NFC. Both these teams had lopsided home road splits with the Saints thriving in the dome and the Steelers struggling on the road. Pittsburgh's going to give them a game, but I predict Ben will make a mistake late that allows New Orleans to pull away. Maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, but I'm taking the Steelers. I, I, they showed me a little bit uh, last week against the Patriots, albeit it was at home. I get it, but I, I think that they're going to get hot at the right time. I feel like they always do this. They're just they're just such a streaky team, and I think that they'll find a way to, to shock the world and beat the Saints in New Orleans. And I, the other game to monitor that could have some serious implications for the Ravens uh, is the Houston Texans. They travel to Philadelphia to face the face the Eagles, and this is key because let's just say the Ravens do win. The Ravens could actually be out of the playoff could actually be out of the playoffs if they finish 10 and 6 if the Texans lose out so they obviously want the Texans to go to Philly and win and I I think it's going to happen I think the Eagles I know that they they had a big win last week against the Rams but I don't think they're gonna be able to carry it over I'm taking the I'm taking the Texans in this one it's my upset special of the week I think Philly pulls it out it comes down to matchups the Eagles defensive line is still playing at a Super Bowl level they're going to destroy the Texans offensive line and on the other side, Nick Foles does have the wideouts to burn their corners downfield. I think Philly's making a late run at a wild card. Yeah, and then the other big matchup again in the AFC North, not really that big, but the Browns are Browns are hosting the Bengals, the battle of Hugh Jackson's old team. Um, I'm taking the Browns in this one. I think the Browns are playing a really good level right now. Uh, they're, they're really making a case that if Hugh Jackson might have been fired a couple weeks earlier, maybe he was fired before the season started, the Browns might have been a serious playoff contender. Their playoff hopes are still alive, as we mentioned in the last episode. They need a lot to happen, but I think that by the time they play their game, they'll be eliminated from the postseason. But I think that the Bengals, they're just banged up. They just want the season to be over, and who knows if Marvin Lewis will still be the coach there next season. Uh, I'm taking the Browns. I agree. Browns roll. Nick Chubb carries them to victory. Another attractive matchup is on the slate for Sunday night when the Chiefs roll into Seattle. The Hawks' home field advantage is legitimate, but this is another game that will be decided in the trenches. Seattle's not going to be able to block Kansas City's triple-headed pass rush, which will limit Russell Wilson and allow Patrick Mahomes to play efficient ball. I'm taking KC. I'm going with the upset, I guess. I'm going with the Seahawks. I think I think the Seahawks are their defense is playing at a really really high level right now. Bobby Wagner is making a case for quietly making a case for the defensive player of the year. I mean, I don't think he's going to win it, but he's really playing at a high level. I think Russell Wilson's playing some of his best football right now as well. This this team is certainly overachieving and you have to give credit for Pete Carroll. I mean, if they make the playoffs, 
I know there's a lot of options out there for coach of the year, but if it were me, I think Pete Carroll might deserve it because this is a team that we thought was was in a rebuild mode and and they started out really, really slow and they started out really cold and they found a way to turn it around and right now they kind of control their destiny in the NFC. Yeah, Pete Carroll's definitely up there, definitely worthy of consideration. Him, Frank Wright in Indy, Matt Nagy in Chicago, a lot of good coaches outperforming expectations this year. Any final thoughts before we head out of here? Just back to the Ravens. No matter the outcome against Los Angeles, it should be a fun game in prime time. The Ravens have had a fine second half of the season. After a period of mediocrity, a light is finally emerging at the end of the tunnel. With that, we're out. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.